Hello, all of our friends here at the ALS Association. My name is Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter, and this is our ALS podcast. Thank you for tuning in today and for the past year. We have over 50 episodes of the ALS podcast now up on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio and on our website at alsphiladelphia.org. I encourage you to subscribe on iTunes, comment, uh, rank, vote on how good the episodes are and share them so that we can spread awareness of ALS. We have about 10,000 downloads and listens of our podcast so far in the last year, and your listening is helping us spread awareness and knowledge about the ALS disease and about how people can raise money and volunteer and advocate so we can hopefully get a cure and at least find better patient care services. Again, to learn more about the chapter, go to alsphiladelphia.org and find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all those things at ALS Philadelphia. That minute out of the way about introductions lets us segue into introducing this episode of the podcast. Uh, for you, anyone that's paid attention to the, this series of podcast discussions over the past year, uh, you've heard me talk about my own personal story a few times. I came to the ALS Association in 2011, and I came here because it's a good cause, but also because my grandfather had ALS, and he passed away in 2007 after a two-year battle after being diagnosed. And, like many of our folks, he was a military veteran, and veterans are twice as likely to be diagnosed with ALS as the general population, something we still don't fully understand. And because my story is what brought me here to the chapter and keeps me motivated, as, as do all of the other ALS stories I've heard since 2011, I thought maybe I could dedicate an episode of this to what that story meant to me and my family. And with Valentine's Day coming up, why not talk to someone, a loved one, that was also affected, and about caregiving, and about what ALS was like in a personal level. So, I'm introducing you to my dad, Thomas Heil. Uh, so, Dad, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Tony. That was a nice introduction. It was all right. I can do better. We'll see how we do. Right. Um. So, I like I said, my, my grandfather, Regis Heil, he was diagnosed with ALS in... Uh, 2005, uh, but before then, we didn't know about ALS too much, right? That's correct. We did not. We had dealt with other issues with other family members, but nothing like that. Right. So, um, I, mean, I I remember looking up the disease after he was diagnosed uh, and hearing about it, but did you know anything about it from before then? Was there, as it led up to that diagnosis, did you start researching or hear that this was a likely thing? No, I really did not. I had no idea what was involved for the whole family or any other caregiver part of it or even for the person who was diagnosed with it. Not until that point. I was the one that would take them, both of my parents to the doctors and go with them to the doctor, um, if at all possible. So I was able to actually ask questions. And it was the regular physician that referred us to a neurologist which happened to be one of the best ALS neurologists in uh, Western PA. And we went from North Hills to Oakland to the ALS clinic and met Dr. David LaCamus. And he was very wonderful. He knew exactly what he was looking for in order to prove or disprove that this was the affliction that my father had and helped put us in touch with other resources that we would have to deal with. Now, I remember that 
grandpa, when he was diagnosed, he had some symptoms for a few months before then. Um, he did. He had excessive foot drop, uh, an odd gait, and um, walking issues, obviously. How I remember him tripping at a at a party. I think it was your birthday yes. party. Yes, it was at a restaurant. We hey. were going out for my birthday, and they met us at the restaurant. And even my wife looked at something seriously wrong with your father, the way he was walking. Now, that was the the moment that was obvious to me, but I had been out here in the Philadelphia area before then, so I hadn't seen um, my grandparents in a while, uh, in, as you had. Had there been anything else before then that seemed like something's wrong here? Not something that was very blatant. I mean, he was elderly at that point, in his 70s. But, no. Well, he did do an odd thing with the car. He would pick up my uh, his wife at the bingo, and he, you know, with his driving foot, in fact, he put the car into the reverse instead of forward and totaled his, the back end of his 10-year-old car at that point. The whole back end came down. Um, and that was a sign, too, but we didn't know it at the point. Right, it's not... A lot of those symptoms aren't things that are obvious to point to something like ALS. It's just something must be wrong, or um, yeah. it can be hard to figure out that it must be something very serious. Yeah, you're right. So when you went to the doctor, how long did it take from like that first party, which was in December? How long did it take to get to there uh, to be diagnosed? Actually, it went rather smoothly and quickly from that point because the regular physician they dealt with and they really liked, who was the general physician, knew that this was something that he was not really accustomed to handling on a monthly basis, on a daily issue. But he did, he was the one that referred us to Dr. LeCamus and the ALS clinic in Oakland. And we got an appointment as soon as possible and followed through. Um, of course, Dad had a few other tests there in Oakland at the clinic, and it was that doctor that really knew what he was looking for, and in order to know, or he brought, you know, my mother into the picture, too, and was very blunt about everything, but we had to be. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you people have to, he was very open with us and said, you have to start making some decisions. We, we tried to deal with that. Um, issues at the house, but it was not easy for him to walk around the house. Even with a wheelchair, it was not easy to get into that house. The house was about 45 years old, and walking on carpet and then tile back to carpet, he had he fell a lot. Even yeah. getting up the steps just turned into a major issue. Well, and a lot of that were things that you were certainly not prepared for, because just a few months earlier, that wasn't that big of a deal. You're right. It really was not. Not that I would see on a regular basis, too. You know, I mean, he slowed up a little bit in age, but still, no, you're absolutely right. So the, the neurologist had to be very blunt, but it was a lot to handle right at once, beyond just this is what a disease is and what that in, incurs, but also you. these are a lot of things you need to start doing. Well, yes, we needed to, um, well, I notified my siblings, too, of what was going on at that point. Um but none of the other siblings were available or around to go with them to visit to the neurologist even at that point. However, I kept them posted. Um, right. It right. was an interesting di- 
Yeah, I, I am never sure what's easiest with uh, a family member that's sick. I mean, I'm an only child. Obviously, you know that. <laughs> but um, when you have siblings, they can care. Everyone can care, but it's tough because the pressure is going to be mostly put on one person because of geography. I mean, your sister, my aunt, she lives far away and things like that. So not, not that they don't care. They're just further away. Um, right. So that cre can create a lot of strain. Like, this is a lot on me to do. Right. Right. But we also needed to get some legal um, advice, too. Mm-hmm. And somebody I dealt with in the business world, I brought into the picture to their house and started to update on a few things. And we had to have some serious discussions. I had to have some serious discussions with my parents. I mean, they had lived in that house for years, but... Um, my mother knew that she knew, but she didn't want to acknowledge that right. it was not going to get better, but wasn't quite sure because she didn't have a network to deal with to acknowledge this in a group that this was a serious enough issue that dad's going to need constant care. Um, ALS and the Western chapter of the ALS Association, I took dad to a few few local meetings that were held at, uh, I believe, Elegant General Hospital, in fact. Uh, they were more for my benefit than my father, but I took him along, and um, we got to meet other people and the caregivers. I found that to be helpful, to be honest with you. Now, that was years ago, almost a decade now. Um, actually, yeah, you're right. Actually, it was a decade now, and so there's those support groups, and I find here at the Greater Philadelphia chapter that patient families really love the support groups. You'd oh, recommend them doing that. Yes. I highly like recommend reaching out to anybody that has been through an experience. Uh, I currently work with somebody where I work now whose father passed away from ALS, what she say, about three or four years ago. So she's involved in the Western chapter and even in the walk here. And she told me that too. Now... Meaning people helps a lot that you're not the only one. I've been to a few walks in Western PA, and I was lucky enough to come to one of your walks in um, Eastern PA. And it's wonderful to see all the, all the support that goes on with one of those walks. Yeah. And, awareness and support from the community, too. That's just fantastic. Yeah, I was really glad that you guys could come out in 2011, and I think you guys came out in 2012. Yeah, you came out in 2012, too, because we went out to dinner afterwards and saw our congresswoman that, that same day. That's correct. We did. That was uh that was not expected at the time, but um, so that was a. It's nice to know you're not the only one because ALS can feel like a very isolating disease since it's not as oh, common. Oh, certainly can, and I think it seriously frightened my mother, and I had to pull her along and say, "Well, we have to start looking around to see what other support we can get to, medical support or even care support, which we did through the ALS." Well, and, you know, this is something we don't talk about enough on our podcast and our other things, but um, it's really hard for a person to accept help. Um, and it must be really hard to tell a parent, not the person with ALS, but someone else in your family or friend, that they need help. That's not an easy conversation to have. Yeah, you're right. You have to be very blunt and upfront with some of these issues. You're right. Because... Um, Dealing with, yes, their health issues, their car issues. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. And whatever else that 
came at us on a rather quick basis, too. This is not something that you keep putting off quarter after quarter after quarter. Right. It can be very emotionally and mentally draining for everybody involved that, like, you don't get a break from all of those decisions. Yeah. No, I was fortunate enough, I mean, when he's still living in the same house as his wife, my mother, that um, I would spend an evening with him once a week while she went out with a neighbor friend. And even when she went to church, as she liked to do, she could still drive on her own. Um, so we would have some chats. I'd bring dinner over, and he just wanted to talk. Right. But anything else, wanted to talk. He himself really wanted to talk. Mm-hmm. Not only about that, but other things that happened. And it was a matter of just conversing with him. So I found that to be very rewarding, especially to me. And I guess to him, too, yeah, during that time, I was home for a few months before I moved back out here again, and um, so I got to spend some time on those weekdays when Grandma went to bingo, bingo or whatnot. Um, and, you know, I, for both of us, we know Grandpa had a really interesting story, but he always put Grandma first and everything. He could have taken over five countries, and her story about, you know, going to bingo or being in Atlantic City would be take precedence, even if it wasn't nearly as interesting. You are so correct in that. Um, so, but what, so did you learn more about him through that, the things that you didn't oh, even know? Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, there were tales, especially going back in time, you know. Well, yeah, we don't go forward in time too often. School age, uh, being in the scout, uh, his service background, joining the Navy, and then coming back and finally meeting his wife and being sent by the government into a new conflict, he, he had an interesting, you know, background experience to share. We never really discussed that when I was growing up. Well, so, let's talk about that a little bit. First, um, both of, both Reed and Bertha, and those are old people names for sure. Um, (laughs) there's not a lot of Reed's or Bertha's being born these days, but, um, they both lived in Pittsburgh, Uh and so... When did, uh, and, and they met while well, they were both young, right? They went to the same grade school. Um, he really, they went to different, they went to different high schools because they, they went to Catholic high schools that, one was a boys high school, one was a girls high school. Um, but they still were in roughly the same neck of the woods, the neighborhood. Uh, I think it was when he was home from service one time that he got a hold of Bertha through somebody else. Because he really wanted to... He really wanted to meet her again. Mm-hmm. And things went from there. Well, it was probably because of her, her great perm that he wanted to see her hair again, right? <laughs> that helmet hair? I'm pretty sure oh, she yeah. had the same hair since he was four. <laughs> Just about. I don't think that's all I remember, to be honest with you. So... So he wanted to get back in touch with her while he was in the service. And, and he, I remember he joined the Navy when he was 17, right? Yes. His father had to sign papers that he could join. And he did. He was a telegraph operator in the Navy. And uh, he was once assigned to a, well, more than once assigned to a ship. One time he was assigned over in the east, like to Guam and um, Aleutian Island area. 
and then one other service time back to Maine. He, he dealt with, um, I forget where in Maine he was at. But again, he was a telegraph operator. And I, yeah, I remember the pictures from the Aleutian Islands where he was stationed, and, and he kind of took in correspondence from the enemy, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they intercepted communications. That's what he told me. In fact, when I was in grade school and in the scouts, he came to one of our scout meetings and taught the scout, uh, the telegraph codes, SOS codes, and even some flag codes. Yeah, he was very patient along that line. Now, when when you were young, did his military service come into your life life much? Because he never really talked about really, himself much. Yeah, so did no, it? We never really had no. We just dealt with day to day things. Do you think that was because he was just a humble person who didn't really talk about it, like put himself out much, or that was just a, how things were back then? I think that's how things were. I know that uh, your mother had an uncle that was in the service that served in in the Europe community, and he never really wanted to discuss it, the World War II situation. Because it wasn't really traumatic for Grandpa. I mean, he wasn't really in the line of fire, right? No, he was a younger person, probably in his early 20s at the most. Um, but no. Um, and, and he made some good friends, especially in the Aleutian Islands. I remember because he had ALS and we talked, I saw pictures of it. Um, and he was... Even though he didn't talk about it, he was very proud of what he was able to do. Yes, he really was. Yes, I mean, he really felt a community sense there. You're right. So he... So he... So after World War II... Or was it was during World War II, right, that he um, got back in touch with Grandma? Uh, on one of the... Well, actually, yes, Yes, it was, because when, when they did commit to getting married, he he went back and forth and got some papers saying that he was being shipped out, because they had set a wedding date for the end of May, and they had to move it all the way up to the early part of May. So they did get married, and he got shipped out again. I guess that's just how things were back then. You got, you got married during the times you were home from war. Something like that, yeah. Uh, well, thankfully, Obviously, I wasn't around at the time, but yes. Well, it's not obvious to anyone listening, and they don't know. Maybe you were. <laughs> no, I was not. I know. I'm not even the oldest child, but no. So, so, so then he came back, and then he went back to serve again um, during peacetime in Japan. Yeah, I think he was in Japan, now that you mention that. You're right. Yes. Well, I remember him talking about yeah, how he... He liked going around the world and like take, he was taking pictures and um, he just thought it was neat going places. Mm-hmm. Yes, he had an older sister who's still alive, who will be 91 in a few weeks. She was the photographer in the family and he and her were pretty close in age. Um, but he was the second oldest child. And I think she, she taught him a little bit about photography too. Mm-hmm. So... Photos, black and white photos were a big thing back then, but yeah, he did have old photos. Well, black and white's coming back again with Instagram, so <laughs> yeah. uh, it's still popular in different ways. Um, I know. So he finished there, and um, it was a pretty normal life, him and your and your mom raising four kids. Yeah. 
Um, nothing too out of the ordinary. He worked for the telephone company for forever. Well, he worked in construction at first as a carpenter. He was a practice carpenter. And um, he learned a lot, especially building homes. They were in the North Hill. So there was a segment near, if you recall, where North Way Mall was that wasn't there at the time. Well, I'll be, most of the people listening here have no idea what a Northway Mall yeah, is. Yeah, I know. So, um, but through his father, who had a recommendation to somebody else, which would be my grandfather, said, why don't you apply to this place, which turned out to be uh, Bell of Pennsylvania, and he did. And he started a long-term career with that company, doing different things. So then we fast forward. I'm proud of that, too. Yeah, he, he was always someone that was proud of work, and that was kind of a value that we had in, in both sides of my family, mom's side and your side, that um, it wasn't about just making money. You know, you took pride in actually working, no matter what it was. Yeah, and he was involved with church, too. Mm-hmm. Church and related to the grade school that we went to, yeah. That was important to him, too. And, but, but, but even so, growing up, it was... And and even when I grew up, he was still kind of um, kind of in the background because he didn't put himself too forward, right? That's correct. You're absolutely right. Um, my recollection of him and, and Grandma together is Grandma would talk a lot, and he would just he would smile and you know be her cheerleader. Yep, you had it right. And um, and then you know I I was born a few years after that. Um, yes, and. Was was and remained the golden child, I guess. Yes, he was always very proud and always light, lit up when he saw you. Right. I, the younger child. He was so proud that he made that sandbox from scratch, but that goes back to his carpenter years. <laughs> he had wonderful tools, which I still have some of them. He made the toolbox mm-hmm. I ended up with. Well, speaking of toolbox here, uh, maybe I'll put it up with this thing. I have a picture up of his uh, Pap Pap's workshop here in my office. I see. Well, it's a nice little box. All wood. Yeah. Hung and groove side. Yeah. And so I would stay t- over there. We'd, we'd play with um, Uncle David's Legos and hook up the Nintendo on his TV there. And, and you know, we, um, Grandpap and I were together a lot growing up from a young age. Okay. You were lucky then. I was lucky. Um,. Uh, was that important to you that you were, I mean, it's important to me, even though we're far away, I, I like every time that now both of my sons get to see you, but, um, oh, yeah. you know, you got to, you had one relationship with Grandpap as a father, but, you know, it was nice to you getting to see him, and I know the pride I feel getting to see my kids with you. Was it the same for you? Yeah, he was very generous with, at that point in life, with his time, with his grand, all all three of his grandchildren, the two that live in Texas now, too, when he was able to see them. They, brought, they always brought a smile to his face. Yeah. I always tell people I was very fortunate to have such a lot of family that was very caring. And, um, you know, I talk about... And, and Karen, my wife, she has good family around her, too. So I, I know that I was lucky that they were close and, and we got to spend a lot of time together. That helps. That helps with any kind of situation. That helped a lot even with your mo- your mother's mother's situation with her long-term um, Parkinson's situation, too. Now, that's something I bring up a lot in my discussions, is that 
so I, I've said this a lot in other podcasts and, and when talking to people about my own ALS experience, is that you didn't have a healthcare background, right? No, I could not. And mom does. She, yeah. she ha- and, and her sister, my Aunt Kenny, she has a nursing background too. So when my grandmother, your mother-in-law, had Parkinson's and she had it for a long time, they knew questions to ask. They knew what things meant. And I, you know, I think you and mom are both caring and smart people, but there's a difference between knowing what you know and not knowing what you don't know. Oh, there is a difference. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, you approach those diseases both personally and for someone you care about in different ways because you probably don't know, you don't think to ask about that kind of test or say no to such and such. And, right. you know, through that perspective, did you think about how people just approach healthcare generally as, in addition to diseases like ALS? Well, normally in that whole industry, that's their, that's their livelihood. I mean, they chose that, and so it's a matter of coming into their world and understanding a few things that, quite frankly, we knew nothing about and never expected to know anything about. So I greatly appreciate the support from that side of the family and from the ALS Association here, uh, even through MDA and anybody else that was involved with it, and I highly recommend it, even when I went to the support meeting that they had at AGH way back. So when you have, um, you think it's important for an organization like us to, you know, think about the kind of people that are coming in in terms of how to educate them about the disease. You said you need to be blunt, but also kind of recognize where they're coming from in life. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, communication and understanding were, were necessary all around. So what kind of, if now that you know a bit more, um, about the whole process going through it for a couple years. Um, what would you have wanted to know early on, or um, is there anything that service that maybe does exist now that you wish that you know, we could have taken advantage of then, or um, you hope that other families take advantage of now? Oh, that's a good question. I know that asking questions all the time are very important. Mm-hmm. So I found the clinics I've taken that to were more helpful to me than to him, to be honest with you. And trying to pull my mother into some of these situations because, you know, she was the one-on-one caregiver for some time, and it was very draining for her. Right. And didn't want to face a few things that needed to be addressed. Uh, Dad was not one to ask questions so much. Even Mom did. I was the one that had to ask. How can we deal with this situation? How do we deal with that? For Grandpa, do you think he didn't ask questions because that's how he was, or he didn't want to know? That's a good question, Tony. I think he just was not curious about asking at certain points. Yeah. I honestly do. I mean, he always seemed like someone that would do what you told him to do and take everything. Just If you told him that you needed to, you know, stick your hand in Kool-Aid or, you know, wear a funny hat, he would just do it. When we came back from the doctor's office and we had to sit down, the three of us, and discuss some um, legal and medical issues, um, and I even brought an attorney that I knew into the situation, he really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Because there were questions that needed to be addressed, you know, about what can we do, and what about a wheelchair, and what about this, and other 
Well, and it's a right fear to have because, unfortunately, there wasn't a good answer to get. You know, we would love for there to right. have been an answer like that was going to make it. Happen, and then the headache would go away. You're absolutely right. And that's our job is to try and make those, is to create better answers. And it's also helpful to know that you're not the only one dealing with this situation. Mm-hmm. On many levels. Because... So on a family level, yes. On a medical level, that's a whole other story, yes. And sharing that information. And there was even other support he got from the family. They would come and visit, and they enjoyed coming to visit him. Um, they were surprised sometimes at some of the changes, physical changes that he went through. But I think they were... You have to admit that in life when you're in your 70s, that somewhere along the line, it's not going to get much, much better mm -hmm. with that situation. Yeah, I remember uh, um, Uncle Bob coming over to give communion and things oh, like that. Well, yeah, Dad really enjoyed that visit. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was a short, brief visit, he really did. Well, I think that, you know... We hate ALS, and we hate any sort of disease like ALS that's fatal and deteriorates the body so much, but there is that beauty, that gift that you get where people are going to spend some time with you in a, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise, because he still, you know, he saw family often, but now, you know, you even, who spent a lot of time, are listening more, or, you know, there's conversations that have to happen that can be, you know, very rewarding. It was personally rewarding, yes. It's unfortunate. It worked out that way, but yes. You know, there, there were little frustrations all along the whole situation, but yes. And those frustrations obviously build up stress in anyone. I mean, you were with them six, seven days a week. Uh, often, even when Dad was finally in the facility near the end, I would stop on the way home from work. Right. Many days. Almost five days in a row, yes. And then on the weekend, too, your mother would come along. Right. And I know that that made a big difference to him. Getting me to personally address the mother's situation. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure for you, while it was tough, you, you wanted to take any, any minute you could, you know, take advantage of all the time that was there because you understood the disease. Yes. I knew that there was some time limit, especially after talking directly with Dr. O'Campbell. And I really have to give him a lot of credit for choosing that career choice. Right. Anyone that's dealing with ALS in any way or a disease like it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, through that and through my own experience, you know, with that, with Parkinson's in MS, since mom has MS, mm -hmm. um, you know, you start to value time and experience more than about having things. You're absolutely right. I yep, do still appreciate that iPad you got me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But we did share a lot. Yeah. I mean, Dad had a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. It just needed to be brought out. Was there anything about that he brought out in, in those two years that you were kind of surprised by or, like, you not, not in a bad way, you know, in a good way? Like, wow, I didn't really think of that. Or I'm glad that I had this time to learn, you know, his thoughts on such and such. Well... You know, it was his life from his perspective. Mm -hmm. so it's not definitely things that I had experienced, certain things, like he did. I was not in the service in the Navy. Uh, we talked about that and about his different travels. I mean, I had traveled elsewhere in life, but not under a, a war condition like that. Right. 
but it was, it was interesting, and he remembers it. I mean, he his memory was fine. Mm-hmm. Fine. In fact, it was very good until the last two months. But yeah, I know the the last few months were the hardest. Issues. Yes. Right. Do you think now, though, that um, you know? I think it gives us perspective that for people we care about, whether it's family, friends, you know, neighbors, um, to give them time and to listen more, and not to and to take advantage of you know the moments that we have, as opposed to just taking them for granted. Oh, I have to agree, absolutely, Tony. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because with ALS. Now they think about it, you know, it's a disease where it's often you can't hear the other person. Um, Grandpa lost ability to talk a bit um, towards right. the end, and I know a lot of people here that have that. Um, so right. you do have to listen better, but you also have to listen better because of where they are, um, you know, in terms of being an active listener. So mm-hmm. it, it just trains you to be a better listener in life. Well, that's true, too. You're absolutely right. I mean, we go through life looking at things on a superficial level many times. But this was a serious family situation, and we needed to keep everybody at least updated on things and involved and, you know, watch the different stages. And I think because I have a sister that lives a couple thousand miles away and a brother that at one point did live down in the south, but now lived... Well, the, the now he's back in the market. south. Yeah, um, they would try to visit, but it wasn't on a consistent basis. Right, and that's just—it would be impossible to do it. Right, right. Um, but I think uh, you know, you take you take those uh, the chances you have and listen more. And and now you know, mom, your wife, my mom has has had MS for a long time, very yeah. different disease. Um, but we talk about that here. Because MS is something where people can live a very full life for decades. Um, we would like ALS to be like MS in that respect. Sure. Because ALS is, once the diagnosis comes through, because um, it's, it's one of those diagnoses that's an elimination process more than anything else. But yes, it's a short-term situation in many cases compared to like you say, Parkinson's or MS. Mm-hmm. They go on for decades sometimes, not ALS. So it's just amazing when you see somebody with ALS who has been around with that diagnosis for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. That's the rarity, and it's wonderful to see it happen. Well, other things that are wonderful to see happen since Grandpa passed away in 2007 are... Yes. There have been some advances, you know, I express my thanks for you buying me an iPad as a gift, but um, that was something that didn't exist then that Grandpa would have no, communicated better. He would have loved it, yes. He really would have loved it. And so there's that. There's new research in terms of um, you know, drugs, genetics. Yeah. Uh, I th- yeah. Now, since then, we know about the connection to veterans in ways we didn't then. I think you're right, yeah. And, um, you know, those are things where now, you know, it, it kind of motivates both you and I that we know the benefits that these kinds of things will have for people like him because we know how he missed out on them just by the, you know, because of time. Yeah, I agree. 
And, you know, I'm here in the Philadelphia area. I'm looking at stuff that we do here. Um, and I know even though you're out there, you're rooting for the Phillies because it's really neat seeing what the Philadelphia Phillies do for us. Oh, I'm just amazed. And I think that's wonderful that you have that community support there. That's fantastic. Um, so you've seen a lot of what we do here, and you know what the Western PA chapter does. We love them as well. Um, have you? What have you seen since then? through my work here, and not to be selfish, but um, that's given you some hope and excitement over the progress of this disease? Uh, well, not so much about the progress of dealing with the disease, but I think the ability to get information all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the immediate caregivers, for the extended caregivers of any kind, and when people ask questions, you know, I have to leave a meeting early to go somewhere because of X, Y, Z. There's more of an understanding. Or I'm going away this weekend to uh, support for a walk. Um, would you support me in the walk and sign up? Um, you get questions, so it's easier to answer them now, I think. So that awareness, yeah. that that communication that's gone out, and especially since the Ice Bucket Challenge and other things, yeah. it's not just about the money that's raised, it's that hopefully it makes it easier for families like ours when they're first dealing with it, because there's you can communicate yeah, you're better. You're the only person in the world going through this, too, right? You would like to see it eradicated, um, and maybe someday, but yes, you're right. Well, you know, I know that your work has helped to get us closer, as everyone's dollar and time has. Um, and I know that Grandpap is still making a contribution, because we donated some of his own <laughs> cells to research. Okay. Didn't we? we? Didn't he donate some stuff to research? Yes. Yeah. You're right. So, you know, things like that are making a difference. And his story, through what we're doing here and elsewhere, continues to motivate, you know, whether it's sponsors or volunteers or lawmakers to, you know, this is important to do. It is very important to understand it and deal with it and diagnose and live through it, yeah. All around. And it would be very wonderful to see other support come from, you know, the whole community group, even in the political world. Right. Well, we're working on that. We're trying our best. And, you know, we, I'm glad that we can, that Grandpap's story and, and others who have passed away from ALS, you know, continues to make a difference. Um, I know that it can feel like a tremendous loss for a family once they lose that person, but to know that they live on through their donations, through their research that they've done, um, that, you know, it's good to know that their goodness continues forth. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I like your newsletter, and I know that um, my sister in Texas gets it also, and also enjoys the update. Well, there'll be a new newsletter coming out soon. Uh, it's coming out in a few weeks. We're in the process of editing it. I apologize to all of our listeners who get our mailed newsletter um, that it's late, but having a second child um, really makes things busy. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so, well, you know, we're approaching our time here, and I would just let everyone know, um, you know, my middle name is Regis in honor of my grandfather, and, you know, watching my dad go through being a caregiver, and being a good dad, too, was important to me. I told my wife once we had a kid, 
that whatever the first name was going to be, the middle name would be Thomas to honor you. Um, and that's, you know, that's the one gift I can give aside from working here to, uh, you know, to emphasize how important family is to us. Good. That's encouraging. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you appreciate it. <laughs> so, so, um, well, thank you for taking time and, and, you know, continuing to motivate and inspire me to, to do this. Um, you know, we'll keep working hard. I have pictures of Grandpap here on my desk. Wonderful. And I'll be sharing them. And, you know, for all of you who are listening, whether you're fighting for a grandfather or a father um, or you're a caregiver yourself, there's lots of resources for through the ALS Association, Greater Philadelphia Chapter. You can find them at alsphiladelphia.org. Um, you know, my dad came to a number of walks. You can find out more about them at www.gpcwalktodefeatals.org. That's GPC for Greater Philadelphia Chapter. And if you're not in the Philadelphia area, that's fine. That's great. You can find a walk or event or chapter near you by going to www.alsa.org uh, to find all sorts of services anywhere around the country and even beyond that can hopefully, as with uh, my grandfather and my dad, make it a little bit easier to deal with a very terrible disease. So uh, thanks again, Dad, for taking some time here. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. Love to you. Love you too. Bye. Take care.